let's get started. So my name is Ted Horton. Um, I'm a partner at uh, Stewart & Kissel here in New York, um, a law firm that has a capital markets project and markets practice in the, in the shipping space. Um, very happy to be here today with a panel of um, some of the leading investment bankers in the shipping space, both based here in New York and, and based in, in Oslo. Um, let's see, where do we end up sitting? I'll do the introductions um, just in the interest of time here. Um, to my left, um, we have Krista Lopicelli, who is a managing director in Citigroup's Global Transportation Group. To her uh, left, we have Eric Helberg, CEO of Clarkson's Plateau Securities um, in, based in Oslo. We, to Eric's left, um, we have Parolov Carlson, CEO and managing director of Cleves Securities, also based in Oslo. To his left, we have uh, Ricard Vapo, who is a managing director and head of corporate finance at Fernley's Securities. And finally, we have um, Doug Mavernack at Jeffries, CEO and managing partner. Sorry, managing, sorry, Doug. These are out of order. Doug Man managing director, group head of maritime equity research at Jeffries. I apologize. Um, so we are here at another capital markets uh, panel, where I guess it's fair to say that we're still in a challenging time, or as we heard in the last panel, is that uh, shipping equities are uh, out of favor, which I think most of us would probably agree is a fair statement today. Um, what I'd like to do is just start with a very general question for, for the panel, for the panelists, and just when we go down, is just to say, really, what, what do you think that we need to see um, in the industry, whether it's in the shipping industry or in the broader markets, in order to see a window <coughs> open um, for the capital markets for the space over the next 12 months, let's say. Chris, I'll start with you. Sure, happy to start. Um, I think we need to see companies making money. Um, I think that ultimately the key driver of equity performance is earnings performance and growth in earnings. Equity investors are looking for growth. Uh, that can happen just organically through where we are in the cycle. It can happen through consolidation. Um, we believe we will continue to see more consolidation because one challenge that we have in the markets right now is that there are too many companies that are not investable in the public markets and uh, some of the momentum behind consolidation trends we believe will continue, so we think that will help as well. But ultimately, um, you know, public investors want to see that there has been good momentum that is coming through the bottom line, and then be able to look ahead for the next 12 months and, and know that that momentum is continuing. Eric? Absolutely, I mean, you know, investors need to see proof of sustainability of earnings. Um, there's been a lot of volatility. Take dry bulk. We all thought, hey, that market looks really good. Uh, we'll just flow through into 2020 and have some really happy times. And suddenly, you know, we have a very unfortunate dam incident in Brazil and it just completely collapses. So I think, you know, they need to get uh, the confidence back that this is going to last uh, and be stronger for longer. You know, if you look at the, the outlook, I think there are very good reasons to be optimistic. We're seeing the markets are recalibrating. Uh, you know, the balance between supply and demand is improving. 
definitely. Uh, and now it's crunch time. You know, we're, we're now in it, soon in it. You know, 2020 is going to be very soon upon us. You know, 2019, uh, ship owners need to make the, the decision today whether they're taking vessels out or not. We're seeing the refineries very soon having to make those decisions and starting to produce the compliant fuel. You know, I think it's uh, it's exciting time, but ultimately we need to see uh, valuations increase. Otherwise, you know, it will be uh, pretty muted. Any added thoughts to that, or is that? No, I think I think uh, actually it can be summed up in uh, two words. It's um, cycles. It's all about the cycles. When the cycles in the respective markets improve, there will be more interest uh, in the sector again. And secondly, 2020, uh, I think we need to see the outcome. We've had heard uh, many panelists saying, talking today about uh, what is going to happen and what is the sense about scrubbers. And uh, what I'm getting out of it is we don't really know yet. We don't know what uh, how uh, owners are going to be penalized. We don't know if they don't have it. We don't know if the fuel is going to be in every port. Um, and I think investors will wisely um, take a breather and look look to see what's going to happen. Karin? Um, a lot have, have been mentioned here. Um, cash earnings is uh, very or is vital. Um, that's what the investors are looking at. They are constructive on the segments. However, the cash earnings today is extremely weak within most segments. What are they focused on, on now? It's primarily tankers and LNG that enjoys the relative best pricing in the industry. Year-to-date rates um, uh, will return around 10% on a five-year-old ship. In the drawbook, containers, LPG, you're hovering around um, break-even level. So cash is, is important and what will drive that? I believe settlement of the um, trade war uh, Chinese economy uncertainties. We saw some good figures coming out uh, today. Um, I believe the inefficiencies that was also men mentioned here on the IMO 2020 will will be of importance. Uh, one example is from 13 to 15 when VLCC rates went from $10,000 to $80,000 a day. The main driver was oil inventories that were built up by 400 million barrels in these two years. That would require a 14, 15, 16 VLCCs. Uh, the, the balance today is better. The inefficiencies with IMO 2020 will in this year probably cause 20, 25 VLCCs to be out of the market. So the balance uh, is even tighter. Um, investors are constructive on, on the market. However, however, they are tired of a false starts. Uh, we need to see cash uh, flowing into uh, the bottom line. And um, I will believe that will drive uh, shares. And, and you know, being fifth on the list, most of the uh, the um, answers have been provided, I think. Um, but but what I would say is, um, there's no silver bullet, right? I mean, you've heard a bunch of different um, things that need to occur. Um, the cycle uh, it needs to improve. And when you look at um, you know some of the the shipping equities right now, for just talking the equity capital markets, you know, the LNG guys are trading above net asset value for a reason. Um, the tankers, dry bulkers, and others aren't for a reason. Um, so I definitely think that that's part of it. Someone said sustainability. Um, that's definitely part of it. You can't have 
you know, a good market for three months and then, you know, a, a very bad market shortly thereafter. Um, you know, I would say that um, someone mentioned IMO. Um, you need to have uh, a catalyst. You need to say, okay, well, things are good. They've been good for a while and they're potentially going to get better because you're talking to investors that have lost money for the last 10 years. Um, and so they need to realize and, and appreciate that this time is different. And the one thing that I haven't heard that I just want to interject um, would be, I think you also need other industries, commodities, et cetera, doing well. So when you remember back to pre-2008, when oil was at 150 bucks a barrel, not saying that you need that, but everything was expensive. And so whenever you're an equity investor, when you're looking at putting money to work in the shipping space, you have all sorts of options at your disposal. It's not all of us that live in the shipping world every day. You know, some of the PM at Fidelity may spend 2% of his time looking at shipping equities. And so he has to really want to own it. And, and he has to believe in the cycle, the sustainability, the catalyst, but then also say, look, you know, the risk reward here is pretty good. I can put a little bit of money to work in this shipping equity and get an outsized return. Um, when everything is cheap, that, that risk reward isn't as attractive, but whenever things are more expensive, then he starts to look at the shipping uh, equities as, as an option, and, and then all of a sudden it becomes more attractive to him. So that'd be the only thing I would add that uh, the other panelists have already provided. Okay. And I'll, I'll start with you on this side, so you're the first. I mean, it sounds like what we're hearing is sustained earnings, which lead to valuations is really what we need to see. That's pretty clear. So is there anything from, from today's public companies I mean, there, we've seen some efforts through balance sheet transactions returning capital to investors. Is that, is that the right move today, or is that really just not going to lead to anything until you see these recovered uh, on the revenue side? Like, would you, if, you were, if, a, if, a, if a company was coming to you today looking at these valuations, is there anything they can do to get those valuations yeah. up? Probably these are for the existing companies in the secondary market. Yeah, I'll take a shot at it. Maybe we can work back down. Um, you know, um, when we talk to companies that are talking about deleveraging, um, you know, you can't control the cycle, but you can control how you're positioned, uh, your balance sheet, the risk that you're taking on, et cetera. Um, I think as companies have the opportunity to deleverage, um, that could be something that could be beneficial. Um, what I'm about to say is probably not um, consistent with Corporate Finance 101, but um, it's very consistent with the shipping volatility, and that is if you look at companies that have historically had either no debt or limited debt, those guys typically got a premium valuation. It enables them to, um, to pay out reasonable distributions over time. Um, so, so to the extent that you can um, deleverage quite a bit to the point where you have a lot of flexibility that investors aren't really concerned about you surviving, that could be something that I think helps ultimately improve valuations. Anyone else care to make a comment on? Uh, I, I can uh, um, maybe add, add somewhat. I, I believe um, um, the ability and willingness to distribute uh, returns and you know corporate governance um, uh, would be important for um, for companies and, and their valuations um, in terms of um, return of uh, capital to investors. Right now, there's. Uh, obviously not a lot of earnings to, to distribute. Uh, there are various forms to, uh, to um, distribute capital to investors in form of, for example, uh, share repurchase. We have seen several companies being out there with their share repurchase programs. Um, and there's a lot of uh, positives on that. It shows commitment uh, to the company. It shows that you are willing to distribute capital. It's, it's probably a, a great investment opportunity. We'll, assuming that you're trading well below net as a value. However, um, 
you have not had a positive effect which you hope for uh, in most of the cases. The correlation between uh, pricing and, and liquidity in a share is higher than pricing and, and share of repurchase programs. So um, the cost of buying back shares and the liquidity, you know, liquidity is probably more, more important than, and also I, I believe in a cyclical industry where you can certainly see another six, nine, 12 months of weak markets Cash is not available easily today, and it's at very high cost. And I think um, retaining it on the balance sheet is, uh, for many, could uh, be a good alternative. I would like to add that, obviously, returning cash is something that investors have been, getting returns is something investors have been looking for and waiting for for a long time, right? Not necessarily building empires, and then suddenly now I'm probably due to get some dividends, and now I'm sorry, now obviously we need to invest a lot of scrubbers, et cetera. But, but ultimately, I, I see a lot of companies doing the right thing in building sustainability in their, in their businesses. Obviously, they're, they're faced by you know, multiple challenges. One, bank financing. The, you know, the financing market is challenging. The banks are supporting corporates. Uh, the industry's response is consolidation, as we've seen in product tankers. Right? Consolidation uh, being a a, uh, a stronger counterparty for the banks, consolidation and being a more active and prominent player in the, in the markets towards the customers. I mean, now the LR2 market is controlled by a couple of hands, obviously taking weaker owners out, improving rates, because rates in many instances has a lot to do about uh, momentum. Uh, so I think that's, that's you know, important steps they're making, uh, slowly, slowly building confidence into uh, into their, put confidence into their platforms and, and towards investors. And I think we'll, hopefully they will reap the benefits of that as the market improves. I, I would add to um, where Eric was starting on the topic of return of capital. I, I, I agree that many of the public companies today are taking a more balanced approach to their capital structure. And I think that that's critical because Gone are the days that your dividend policy alone will drive relative valuation in the public markets. Investors are much more focused on a dividend policy that is sustainable within the, the context of your broader corporate strategy. And then when you think about the other tool in the toolkit for share repurchases, as, as some of the panelists have talked about, I think in this sector, you have to be doing share repurchases with a long-term view towards your capital structure because the liquidity in the stocks are just too low to make a share repurchase matter in the near term. But if you truly have excess cash and your stock is trading at such a steep discount to NAV, it may be the best way to be utilizing that cash, um, but it's much more of a longer term view in terms of equity value versus near term equity value. Okay. Uh, if I may uh, just take one. I think the overriding question was sort of uh, how do you get the interest back from uh, from uh, investors? Um, everything I agree with my uh, colleagues in, in everything that has been said. I do think, however, that in order to get uh, improved shipping stock, you need uh, much higher interest in them in general. We can do a lot with the organizational aspects of individual companies, management aspects of individual companies, as has been said here, consolidation, sustainability, uh, dividend payments, and all these things. But none of that really matters unless you have a, a larger 
population of investors that are coming back to the market, and I think that's all in the cyclical side of the respective sectors. Uh, I think that's uh, really, really the thing. We can work around it. Every company can work to improve themselves in order to look better to the investors. But unless, let's say, the bulk market is coming back, many of these bulk companies are going to have low pricing. They are still making money, at least the smaller sizes that are not the capers, are still making money in this particular market. Uh, Supermax will make anything between nine and $11,000 a day. That will take care of OPEX interest and, to a certain degree, uh, amortization. A capers is trading now, the BDI, the last few, uh, few days have been below $4,000 a day. And OPEX is maybe six, six and a half. So unless we see the markets in specific sectors coming back, I think we're gonna struggle hard uh, in, in getting the price, prices up. And I think regarding share buybacks, uh, which is a topic maybe we'll touch later, but I have a strong opinions on that, but we can talk about it later. But I mean, you know, we need to give investors a break, right? I mean, five years, no returns, poor souls. It's been tough. I mean, you know, the, if, it ha if it hasn't been the fundamentals that have been challenging, it's, you know, changing regulation and suddenly short-term events, you know, they, start, they were starting to get their confidence and bam, you know, two hits uh, below the belt. Uh, it's, it's fair to give them a little, a little bit of a breather. Uh, you know, it's fair that they've taken a step back. I think now, you know, we've given them that breather, uh, but now it's time to act. Now it's time to act. Now we're closing in on one of the single most important disruptions we've seen in shipping for a long, long time, probably in my career. Uh, and we're seeing supply demand ba you know, balances you know, never being more interesting than we have now. Product tanker, 7% order book. That was 25 years since we saw that last. Crew tankers, 9%. And you know, everyone who's sat here earlier heard about demand uh, you know, being pretty stable. We're seeing the refineries. I mean, look at, what the, look at what the customers are doing. The customers are paying for scrubbers. They're paying to have them installed. I think that's a pretty good testament to what they feel you know, the, the future will, will, will bring. So. So, so if investors have had a long enough break, Christian, you, you started saying is that there's some companies out there that are just not in investable. Probably a lot of those you're thinking of are more of the smaller ones. I know there's an M&A panel later on. Mm -hmm. But we're going into our fourth year of no new public companies coming out. I'll just to start with you. Is, is sort of the, the IPO by merger, is that the new, if, if, you, were, if you were speaking to you know, a company that was looking to do that. Do you think there's an opportunity to do an IPO? It's going to be the next year. I understand we're waiting for these certain events to happen. Is the merger by IPO, sort of the, the capital of Daminest, is that, is that what we're going to see the next round of new companies coming out through? I, I think you will definitely see more situations of private companies merging into an existing public company. And so, in terms of thinking about the new wave of IPOs. I think of an IPO when there is a new capital formation event in addition to just establishing a listing because part of an IPO is the process that you go through of placing new shares of stock with an investor base. Um, you can just directly list your stock, but you're not going through that IPO process. But I, I do believe that there will be more private to public scenarios happening. I think there, there will start to be IPOs at some point in the future. I think gone are the days that the markets will be up for three months and you'll have 
five different companies come and do an IPO. I think that the bar is higher today in terms of what kinds of companies can get public, but I think that there are some quality private companies out there that could contemplate it at some point. The, the markets aren't there today, uh, but at some point they will be again. But I, I do firmly believe that you will see more consolidation opportunities and that could be a way for an existing private company or fleet to get liquidity in the public markets. Anybody else want to comment on that? Thank you. Well, I, I could add um, uh, some comments. It's, it's obviously um, very weak liquidity. Um, multiples are not very attractive. Um, um, and we need to, uh, to see uh, a few triggers for this market to, to recover. But it's, I believe it's right now you, you should, uh, should invest. Um, how to differentiate your company um, versus the the group of companies listed out there. You, you obviously need to, to offer something different, otherwise you, you, um, you compete on price, that's the only variable, and uh, you need to be first or different or unique, and I, I believe some examples on that are, for example, um, Bulkus 2020, uh, the reverse listing of, of Hunter Group, which both offered something uh, different, um, modern assets with very uh, tight capital structures, um, forward delivery, so you avoided the, the negative uh, carry and very investor-friendly structures. So they offered something different and were able to raise capital on Nest Asset Value while peers here in New York and in Oslo and around the world were trading at uh, both you know, 10 and 20% uh, discount to underlying values. Yeah, the only thing I would add is I think Chris is right in that, you know, right now, you know, the reverse uh, merger slash direct listing is probably, you know, the most efficient way of getting a listing if that's your sole goal, but it's not necessarily an IPO. Um, you know, when you look at, um, and then also the comment that she made about, you know, gone are the days of doing five IPOs in five months. I mean, this is a different environment. Um, you don't have the depth of investor demand today that you uh, did back whenever that was uh, the reality of, uh, of different points in the cycle. Uh, but the last thing I was going to say. was that you have to move quick. Um, you know, when you look back at, um, at last year, you know, and you look at the good bulk experience um, and how they tried to go public, that was gonna be the first IPO since the Generate IPO. Um, you had Genco get through that window. You had the Starbucks slash Oak Tree block get through that window. Um, so there's gonna be other guys that are trying to get through that window um, whenever it opens. And so I think if you're looking at doing a true IPO, looking at raising additional uh, capital, um, you know, the one thing that, um, that you have to do is be prepared because those windows open quickly um, and it's a process to go public, but the windows open quickly and you know, if you think you're the only one that's gonna try to get through, um, you know, history suggests that, um, that there will be others that will probably be in line in front of you. As a, as a New York based lawyer, we're happy to hear that because that's, we'd be happy to get people lined up for when the window does open from the legal side. But let me just switch a little bit so we're talking about the, the equity markets. I mean, other, other than sort of common equity, are there other windows that are open or at least open wider than the equities now, converts or something that we've seen some interest in, although not too many have gotten out? Is there, is there more opportunity in that space than there is in just a, a common equity offering? Uh, are you talking about capital sources, various capital sources? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm saying is there an opportunity there to, to in the public, in the capital markets, public or private, to, to, to get an issue out on a convert as opposed to a common equity, which people are not looking at. I think, I mean, I think converts generally have the view is that from a valuation perspective, it's easy for a company to swallow a convert than it is to do an equity at a... For so some, there definitely value. is. I agree that, you know, but the, those that can utilize that product, uh, you know, need to have sufficient size, right? Sufficient size and liquidity to... Success, you know, successfully place it uh, for investors, and there are a handful of companies out there that could do that. I think you know it's definitely a product uh, that uh, they should be looking into today. I agree. You know, obviously where pricing is, it uh, makes more sense than do just straight common equity. So, yeah. interesting product. I agree. Yeah, I, I think Eric's exactly right. Is that that market is open, but the companies that can access it are just a handful um, because of the size and liquidity requirements, et cetera. Similarly, um, when you look at the unsecured notes market, um, you know the thing was dead uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas time. It's come back a bit, uh, but it's not back to where it was last summer. So, you know, but once again, the companies that can access that particular market, um, it's you know, the the size uh, really creates some challenges and and you know acts as a limitation. Ted, uh, just w one thing to that. I think there are a number of instruments available. Uh, however, uh, be because we work with a number of them, but not in the public market. They worked uh, in the private uh, on private deals in private markets. Pre uh, uh, preferred uh, right to convert their uh, debt to equity at some point in time at certain strike prices, but they are not public companies, and there's maybe one or two uh, providers of the f of the funds. So I said, so it certainly is there. It's a little bit more like alternative finance that you, where it was discussed at the right. former panel. Okay. Um, I'll direct this towards, I know that we're well represented by the Oslo markets. I know that each of you have a presence here in New York as, as well. But gi given the fact that Oslo has seen during 2018 you know, some, some activity, both in the equity side, particularly I think in the, in the high yield side, is, is there, what are, the, what are the Oslo markets sort of offering that are, that are drawing investors um, to Oslo? And I guess I would also say is what role do you see that playing in an overall capital structure? Is it going to be something similar to back in 2000, sort of the 13, 14, where that was a stepping stone to the U.S. markets and the liquidity that a, that a full listing can give here? I mean, Oslo is, is very complementary to, to New York. New York is the biggest capital markets in the world, uh, and, and, and in May, you know, most cases it makes uh, a lot of sense to go to New York. What Oslo offers is, you know, is to capture an opportunity, right? It's an opportunistic, fast track uh, to raise capital when the market and the opportunity is there, as, as Richard alluded to earlier. You know, it, it's, uh, that's what it's great for. Uh, you know, to build and, and uh, to build companies that are in the growth phase and then make the transition to New York if pricing allows, which is obviously a big question mark, right? Uh, so right now, there are plenty interesting, investable companies listed already, which obviously makes it less interesting, you know, for a new venture. And the question number one is, you know, do we, checklist number one, do we have an opportunity today which kind of captures what you're trying to do? If the answer is yes, then, you know, you're going to struggle to get it done because, you know, there are an established platform that you can already buy. So, but it works when, when the market returns. And when the market returns, there will be opportunistic uh, investing again. 
If I could add some, some comments, uh, Oslo and, and New York has basically been been accounted for around 80% of, of equity capital the last 10 years in uh, commodity shipping, and the last three years raised two to $2.5 billion each year, um, relatively evenly sp uh, spread. Um, there's been no IPOs in US since the Generate deal. Um, several initiatives in, in Norway included including um, last year, for example, Okeanis, Ecotankers, ADS, Crude Carriers, Avenir, um, as well as the reverse listing of, of, of Hunter. Um, the previous years, several within the Drawbook and, and Container side. I think the two markets are obviously competing for several deals, but also very complementary. And Oslo market is uh, more efficient for smaller initial um, uh, deals, especially on, on uh, when we're in the weaker part of the market where we can't show uh, uh, earnings um, and, uh, and a bit more asset appreciation uh, story rather than earnings uh, story. So as Eric mentioned as well, it's a bit probably a bit more opportunistic, uh, especially in weak parts of, of the cycle. So Kristen, Doug, do you agree? Is it also complementary to the U.S. markets or is it a competitor? Um, I, I think it is complementary to the U.S. markets, and, and I think it's for specific situations. I think that if you are raising capital opportunistically in Oslo, however, it is important to think about what is your end game as a company, um, because you want to be careful of making sure that you don't get stuck. You don't get stuck with a, a set of investors who are looking for liquidity, and you have a hard time finding that. Um, but. But sure, absolutely, it can be a great place to go if you have that unique story and you have the momentum to capture something unique. I think that when you think about what's happening in terms of just global trade and the customers of shipping companies, whether you're looking on the energy side um, with big oil and gas companies, whether you're looking at the liner companies that have consolidated, and you know, these companies are looking for ways to make their own networks more efficient and use technology to build on that. I think that you know, consolidation as a trend for the ship owners is not just something that's capital markets driven, it's also driven by having a more efficient cost base to manage your fleets and to be able to have a more competitive offering to whomever your equity holders are, whether it's public or private, as you face your customers. Uh, you know, can you achieve commercial synergies, which you can do through pooling and other, other means. But I, I think that you know, the trends for consolidation are not just capital markets driven, they're also driven by what's happening with, with the customer base. And so I think that the US markets will ultimately prove to be the market of choice for the companies who want to be the consolidators in shipping because it, it will be a continued deep capital pool for those who have the appropriate size and scale. Uh, I have to, I mean, all due respect, Chris, I think you're talking for your own market. Uh, Oslo and New York is almost the same market when it comes to the maritime sector. If you look at the shareholders in the companies that are listed in Norway and compare it with shareholders in, that are in companies that are listed in New York, you will find a cross-section of investors that are all places. And anybody looking at the sector um, that are investing in publicly listed uh, entities is looking at the companies that they prefer to invest in. And listing in Oslo today is, you know, electronic, it's easy. Uh, there's, there, there is no real 
issue with that and any New York, and f frankly speaking, any placement that is being done in Oslo is primarily done uh, with, with investors in London uh, and in New York. And very often the London investors are uh, just branches of the New York uh, investors uh, companies. So um, it's, um, I think in the long term, companies have a preference for New York because it has a better standing. Uh, but the advantages of Oslo is a fast track, documentation is easy, you can use a window like uh, Doug was referring to earlier here, you can use a window when it is there and not, not work three to six months to get a listing done. And that's a great advantage. Uh, and you can always move a company to New York later. It, you can grow on the Oslo Stock Exchange. You look at Frontline, for example, that's where they've been always, but they're still, they have a double listing. You have the same thing, I think, with, uh, with, with other companies. And so, you know, it's, I think it's much more complementary than uh, that some people think. Um, and I think it's, it's a good way to cooperate between, uh, let's say, the New York market and the Oslo market. Um, so. so I guess I would just, I mean, I think it's, it's clear that there's, there's common investors in the two markets and, and certainly the speed to market is an advantage of Oslo. But as far as the, the liquidity of an ultimate listing in Oslo or in, in New York, I guess maybe Doug ask, ask you. I mean, is, is 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 New York is still sort of the standard for a public listing where a company's going to try to get to at some point, or do you? Well, I, I think the depth of the market here um, is probably um, better than anywhere else. So, so um, you know, if that's the standard, then then I think that's where um, uh, things will proceed and and whatnot. But um, but there are times where you know that um, that that's not possible. Um, so. so it just kind of depends on, on you know, kind of where you are, as we were talking about at the very beginning, in the cycle, investor demand, et cetera. Okay. Oh, well, if you, if, you, if you look at pricing to an NAV on companies today that are in Oslo versus New York, do you see any difference? I don't think so. Right. I think you're hammered as bad here as you are in, in Oslo. Uh, the, the, the liquidity of the shares is not a question of where you are, it's a question of wh where, where do you have a free float which is large enough to create mm -hmm. uh, liquidity. And that's mon one of the main problems in all the listed maritime companies is that the float is too small. Mm -hmm. We don't have the countdown clock that we usually have here, but I suspect we, a few more minutes. Zero. Says zero. <laughs> then that was good timing. Um, does anyone have any final comments that I, they want to just say? What I was just going to say was is that these markets, obviously, where they are today is where they are, but they, they change quickly. Doug, you made that point. I guess in very shortly, if you were talking to an issuer today that came to you and talked about where the opportunities are in the capital markets, what, what's the advice? Is it wait, or is it the things that you can do today? Let me just run down the panel quickly. Yeah, um, I would say that obviously the capital markets are where they are. We all see you know, the valuations, price and asset value dis uh, discounts, et cetera. But, and I know this panel was about the capital markets, but there are other sources of capital out there. I mean, we saw the previous panel on alternative financing uh, vehicles. Um, we talked to a lot of infrastructure funds, a lot of quasi-infrastructure funds that are dying to write checks for $100 million plus. Um, so there are other, so I'm talking to an issuer, there are other ways to access capital um, outside of the capital markets, which are currently challenged, as we all, as we all know. If I could add, uh, Companies should try to differentiate themselves. Uh, the equity market um, 
uh, appreciates that. Uh, there are various alternative financing sources. Uh, the high yield market is, has tightened up for five, almost 500 basis points the last two months. Um, I believe that market will open within this industry relatively shortly. Asset back financing and alternative financing vehicles are emerging. Um, and there's a lot of capital on the side that uh, is looking to be employed and, and uh, within this sector. So the opportunities are uh, are great for the for the brave today. Carol, well, I think we should all uh, hope that the gods will will be good to the macros with that and uh, improving cycles. I think that's what uh, what I, I will hope we're looking for here. I'd I'd like to address. The uh, few brave souls of the shipping investors are here and say, you know, shipping is cyclicality, shipping obviously is volatility, but shipping is opportunity. And right now, ultimately risk reward is looking pretty damn good. If you, if, if you, if you were here earlier and we, you know, the question was, if you have $50 million, what would you spend it on? You asked the drywall panel, you know, they all wanted to invest it. They weren't going to keenly repay debt, they were going to invested and I think a lot of the investors we've been speaking with speaking to are saying well we're going to find that ultimate entry point which is end of Q2 so everyone wants to move in end Q2 it sounds like a pretty good timing well you might want to be ahead of that so start to do the work we've seen it when you know when sentiment change it, it changes quick and fundamentals are really good look at product tankers $18,000 per day on MRs right now, counter-seasonal, you know, refinery maintenance season. We've seen the volatility on the upside on the VLCCs. I would, uh, I would definitely start preparing if I hadn't done it yet. Final word, Christus. Um, I think a lot of great comments. I, I agree with what everyone said in terms of their final comments. I think the answer is, do you go now or do you wait? It really depends on the situation. I think just as each sector and shipping is cyclical given supply and demand. The availability of capital is extremely cyclical and you're never gonna find the perfect moment in terms of valuation and, and often find you find that it passes you by. So fully agree with the idea of, you know, be ready uh, to go. And, you know, the times to raise capital are when you're not desperate for it. And I think that the companies that have thought about that and thought about the long-term view have been successful in the long run. Thank you all.